Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. And a very good Saturday morning to you. Hello. You, 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 and especially you with the uh, sizzle twins behind me here. Happy motoring to all of you as we open up another Saturday morning edition of Drive Time Radio on the road. Still out here in America, trying to find out uh, what people are thinking, what people are doing. They're on the road, I'll tell you that. There's no doubt about that. You go out to traffic and people are on the road. A very good morning to you. I'm New York Vinny. I am your host. Uh, that uh, joins you every week at this time, 8 to 9 o'clock, right here on 1150 KKNW. We talk about cars, uh, automobilia. We talk about the world according to cars, cars according to the world. Uh, anything to do with the uh, the world of driving or, you know, uh, getting in and out of a car, whatever is involved in the world of automobiles, trucks, cars, campers, all that kind of stuff. We sit around and we talk about it for an hour every Saturday morning. We do it uh, with a, a lot of, hopefully, a lot of humor and a lot of fun and uh, keep it interesting, even if you're not interested in cars. This can be a fun show just to listen to, I think, uh, just for the heck of it, just while you're getting the kids uh, dressed and uh, off to soccer, Little League, or whichever way they are going this morning. My good friend Nathan is along for the ride. He produces this show and Make sure that all the buttons uh, hit at the right time, that I hit at the right time. Believe you me, that it's no small task. Good morning, Nathan. How are you? Good morning, Vinny. Doing well. Good, good. Now, uh, I, I think I can say this uh, live on uh, on air, that you uh, you had a, a good experience this week. Uh, you had, well, I don't know if it was a good experience. but For the most part. Vaccination, right? Better for the future, yeah. Got my vaccination, yeah. the second one. And how are you feeling about that? I know you got sick the, the, the day after, but uh, just in general. Oh, much better. If it feels like, you know, you just get your driver's license. That first time you get it and you feel so free, you can go anywhere and do what you want. It's almost in the same way because travel is pretty restricted with the COVID guidelines still in effect. And having that COVID vaccination card allows you to access some places easier yeah uh, it, it's uh, i really i like your analogy because when i got mine it felt the same way you know it felt like uh like, like life had kind of opened up again a portion of life that you hadn't had for a long time uh opened up and you felt like okay now i can uh, get out into the world and do some traveling i mean i would not be on this trip if it wasn't for the vaccination no and uh, it is it's really like getting your driver's license that, fr- right. that feeling the first day boom 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 you're, you're happy and you're, you're you're free in fact one thing i'm going to be doing this week <clears throat> is going down to uh some office store and getting my card laminated yeah a, a lot of people are doing that i guess right yeah good way to protect it keep it safe prevent it from being bent or ripped and uh preserve it for later it'll last longer too Someday in the future, you'll be sitting in a big loungy chair in your living room and your, your great-grandchildren will come up and sit on your knee and you'll be able to play them a recording of this show uh, when you were interviewed about your vaccine. And then on top of it, uh, you'll be able to whip out that now yellowed vaccination card and say, kids, this is what it was all about back when... You know, back in the day, and they'll look at you and say, uh, 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 great, great grandpappy, Nathan, we heard this story a million times. Well, can, can we just have uh, 20 bucks <laughs> so we can get an ice cream? Or you could at least just uh, frame it and mount it on your wall somewhere. Yes. Once exactly. this is all over. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, like like veterans um, of World War II used to frame their honorable discharges and put them up on the yep. wall or- Look at degrees, frame them, and put them up on the wall. Uh, we will be able to take our VAX cards and frame them and put them up on the wall as our uh, our generation's badge or um, I don't know a sign of uh, of that you that you all shared something together. Exactly. 
Well, I'll tell you what uh, what we shared together this week, Nathan, and, and as I, uh, as you know, and as the audience knows, I am out on the road. Uh, I am now in San Francisco, getting ready to get back up to Seattle. So this is now my, uh, I don't know, twelfth day on the road, um, and I've done this uh, this great circuitous um, loop from Seattle through Idaho. We will talk about that again because that experience alone was enough to, to keep you from driving forever. Uh, but down through Salt Lake City, I uh, got to go to um, the spectacular Promontory Point Golden Spike um, exhibit, uh, a national park, national monument. And if you have ever, uh, or ever get a chance, I should say, to go to Utah, or you're in Utah, and you're within any kind of distance of Promontory Point, you should go because without that golden spike being driven into the ground, not much of what we see today may have happened because that was, of course, the connection of the railroad uh, east to west. The uh, Both railroads <clears throat> try, uh, were in a competition to see who, you know where they could meet up, who could lay the most track, and oddly enough, <clears throat> excuse me, um, both railroad companies went 240 miles past each other before they realized that they were kind of on different routes. So they had to go backtrack. I think that's where the, um, maybe the term was invented and uh, connect up the routes, build like a cross route across Utah to hook them both up. But once they did and the trains rolled from east to west, uh, it allowed our great country to now uh, become one. It really unified the country. And also uh, in technological terms, it proved that we could go from coast to coast from the Atlantic Ocean and the Hudson River all the way out to San Francisco and the Pacific Coast without uh, without interruption uh, and, and move freight goods and people and everything across. And it was... You know, many people, I'm sure in the future, will say the computer, the microchip, uh, you know, was the most important thing ever in uh, American, maybe in American history. Maybe that's the most important because it, it changed our lives so dramatically. But I will always say that without the railroads, you would have none of it. Without the excitement, without all of that that went on, you would have no transportation. You know, you wouldn't have the transportation. You wouldn't have a united country. This would probably be seven or eight or ten different countries, um, which sometimes it feels like anyway. Uh, but the railroad brought us all together as a nation. And, and in that, it still, to me, probably remains, uh, besides the Declaration of Independence uh, and keeping the Union together, uh, the most important piece of American history. Uh, so I got to go there, do that. I took my friend JD with me who uh, lives in Utah. And it was a great experience to go and do so my second time uh, going there. And it was just, if you ever get a chance to go, it's just a, a really cool feeling of, of history. Uh, there are places that you go when you're on the road where you not only see where history happened, but if you go to Little Bighorn, if you go to the Alamo, especially if you go to Gettysburg, you just kind of get this, I don't know if it's a spiritual feeling, uh, but there are, there certainly is a vibe that something happened here. Something, um, you know, really something uh, that changed courses of history that changed uh, that, that were a serious event happened in these places. Another place like that is Dealey Plaza, uh, where uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, there are just places like that. The World Trade Center, obviously, is one um, that you just, you feel a, a vibration of something that goes through your body where you know that something happened uh, in those places. Gettysburg, I think, to me, is the spookiest because... You really do when you walk through Gettysburg, uh, the, the battlefield, 
about fields in that area and the cemetery at Gettysburg, it's almost as if the ghosts of those soldiers speak to you. And I would advise anybody again, uh, now that we're getting out on the road, starting to uh, see things again, um, you know, European vacations are great. Uh, you know, vacations to Australia and this and that, the other thing are all great, but there are so many things to see in America, so many incredible sights to see in America that uh, it really is, <laughs> it, it, it really is heartwarming and it's heartwarming and, and, and educational too. And also the sense of country that sometimes I think we lose because we are such a big country is found on the road. So a little bit of advice from me. I got a chance to go to uh, the Great Salt Lake and stick my feet in the lake, which was an incredible experience. I'm still a little salty from it. And then got a chance to uh, go out to the Bonneville Salt Flats uh, this week. And got a chance to uh, drive uh, the Toyota Camry that I was taking on the road with me um, around the Bonneville Salt Flats. And that's another incredible experience to sit there while um, and, and, and be in a car and ride on that same course where so many land speed records have been set. It really is, uh, uh, you know, you can't go take your car. Well, maybe you can. We'll talk to our next guest, Kirby Arnold, in a couple of minutes, who is in Indianapolis this morning. Uh, get ready for the uh, Indianapolis 500. We will talk to him a little bit about if you can actually take your car out onto the brickyard, uh, onto the track in Indianapolis and drive it. I actually don't think you can, except in a special setting. Uh, but at Bonneville, you can just drive your car to the uh, entrance point, put it on the salt flats, you get out there and go. And um, it's, it's an incredible experience to drive that same piece of track uh, that Craig Breedlove drove when he set the uh, land speed records, when uh, Burt Monroe, if you've seen the movie, uh, The World's Fastest Indian, uh, where Anthony Hopkins just does an incredible job as, uh, as Burt Monroe and brings his motorcycle over from New Zealand in a crate and takes it out there on a trailer and sets a, a land speed record to, uh, to be able to experience that in that setting, driving your own car is really fantastic. It's really, if you're a, a car person, uh, you're really into uh, into uh, uh, an area that you don't get to be in many times, driving on that same salt that those people and many others have driven on. And then to wrap it up, um, and we'll talk about the road trip more later, um, I created my own little, and if you're a Bruce Springsteen geek like me, you will love this. I created my own a little um, darkness on the edge of town tour. I did some research and found uh, this trip that Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Van Zandt, and a photographer took on the road and put together from this article and a couple of other articles uh, the places that they uh, rented an old 65 Ford and drove to through the, um, through the different, uh, you know, back in 1972, 73. And places they stopped, places that they took pictures, places that they stayed, and where they wrote, where Bruce Springsteen wrote, and Stephen Van Zandt wrote a lot of the album Darkness on the Edge of Town. And it was incredible to go to those spots uh, in, uh, in, in Nevada, in the Nevada desert and, and the Utah desert also and see some of the places that really are in the Springsteen lyrics on that album. Uh, Rattlesnake Speedway in the Utah desert. It was cool to drive along. It's not called a Rattlesnake Speedway, but it's where Bruce, you could, you know, you could see some of the things. There's an iconic picture of him standing on this country road with the darkness of the storm coming in 
and there happened to be a storm that day. You're standing there, you're looking at it. And then there's this um, gas station motel where there's a great famous picture of Bruce sitting in a chair outside uh, this gas station. The gas station has been remodeled, but the old uh, motel that was next to it has not. And there's a great sign up there that says, uh, ask about cabins at the Shell station that's still there, still exists. It hasn't been vandalized or graffitied like many things in this country have, unfortunately. Um, so if you're a Springsteen fan, this is a, an iconic road trip, and it's not a road trip that is put together in any shape, matter, or form. You basically have to sit there, listen to the lyrics, and figure it out yourself. Uh, but it was certainly, and I'll, I'll post pictures of it up on, uh, on the Drive Time Radio Facebook page so that you can see some of this stuff. It really is uh, an incredible, incredible uh, journey. And then, of course, uh, coming back through Reno, and through the uh, Northern California, uh, California Sierras uh, was, you know, just, uh, it's beautiful. It's such a great uh, state uh, here to, uh, you know, the beauty, the majestic beauty of the mountains. It's a great country. We live in a beautiful country, folks. All right. We'll take a quick break here. We come back. Speaking about beautiful country. We will head to Indianapolis. Our good friend Kirby Arnold is there covering the Indianapolis 500. We'll get uh, a bit of information from him and a bit of the scene as uh, the Indianapolis 500 goes back to its Memorial Day uh, setting and uh, some changes and some things going on there. We'll talk to Kirby Arnold about that next right here on Drive Time Radio. It's new. It's new. It's new. The new, new 62 Lark by Studebaker. With big car comfort at compact prices. New, highest, widest doors of all. New, big, sofa-soft, deep padded seats. New, thick, rich pile rugs and flat flush floors with no trip over sill. New, lock limousine, stretch out room. Big car comfort at a compact price. New, giant lock trunks. Almost 17 cubic feet of cargo space. New, big 15-inch wheels give you new riding comfort and surprise. New, fresh styling in the big, wide, wonderful line of Larks from Studebaker. Two new Lark Daytonas, America's newest action car in hardtop and convertible style. With bucket seats, very sporty. A companion console compartment, very spiffy. Available too. Four-speed transmission for exhilarating performance. Now enter the most luxurious car you'll find in the compact price range, the Lark Cruiser. More room and luxury than you'll find in most cars. Here's the new 62 Lark Hardtop with sliding sunroof. Available on all Lark sedans and hardtops. Simply beautiful. Just peek inside. Look at these big, loungy limousine seats and thick pile rugs. Here's the new Lark convertible, all dialed up with new 62 styling. There's big wagon room in the new 62 Lark wagon, too. Look at that enormous cargo space. Please be sure to see and test drive all the exciting new 62 Larks at your Studebaker dealer with big car comfort at compact prices. And remember, they're endurance built by Studebaker. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150kknw.com on the web. Hey, welcome back to Drive Time Radio, New York City, hang out with you, 1150kknw. Having a good time uh, doing a show this morning, talking about road trips and being out on the road and going to the uh, Bonneville Salt Flats, one of the great racing venues uh, uh, in the world, really. I mean, people come from all over the world to go to the salt flats, another place where people go uh, all over, come from all over the world to watch the race, to try to uh, participate, get a flavor of the brickyard is uh, Indianapolis, the Indianapolis 500, get ready to uh, get back to some semblance of normal as IndyCar racing uh, again, tries to figure out, okay, what, what are we doing? What are we, who are we, where are we going? Uh, Kirby Arnold is a good friend who uh, named may sound familiar to some listeners uh, that follow the Mariners, a longtime reporter 
uh, for the Everett uh, Herald and the other newspapers following the Mariners. Now, really spends, like I do, uh, probably more of his time uh, looking at uh, automobiles than baseball players. Because the base, the automobiles give you better answers than most of the baseball players, right, Kirby? Uh, most of the time, unless it's a really old automobile, so which I deal with too sometimes. But no, nah, it's it's fun. I mean, I love baseball, and I cannot wait to get back to the ballpark. It's been almost two years for that, but and I will hopefully this summer in Seattle. But uh, yeah, I, I've always liked auto racing, and I like to work on old cars and. Uh, and I know a little bit about both, but not a lot. Let's put it that way. Well, but that's what it takes to be a reporter, an inquisitive mind and knowing a little bit about what you're covering, right? And trying to find right. out more. That's it. And the more you ask, the more you learn. A a exactly. Um, and by the way, Kirby's being modest. He's got one of the coolest uh, 69 Mustangs that you will, uh, you'll ever see or uh, uh, see it go by. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many trophies, because I know you're not a trophy guy. Uh, necessarily, but um, that car, when you take it to car shows, must uh, just stop people in their tracks. You know, I, I, I think I might have taken it to two car shows ever, and I just like to get out and cruise in it. That's kind of what I what I do, and uh, usually somebody stops me and uh, wants to talk about it. Uh, one time I got stopped by a, by a police officer who uh, tried to tell me that he thought my left turn signal was not working, but actually he just wanted to talk about about the car so uh so we had that and then um yeah and then about once every two weeks somebody asked me if i would ever sell the car which i won't so uh, yeah yeah no it's, i don't because i sold my vet a few years ago um i a 62 vet and um that i loved and um there isn't a day that i get up especially on a beautiful day like today you get up and you go oh man i want to get in that car and just go for a ride but I'll get another one. You know, it's 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 one of those things where uh, you. It's amazing how attached you become to uh, this, you know, beautiful uh, piece of iron and rubber and glass. But you really do. Uh, it be, it takes on, and that's a lot of what this show is about. Uh, the cars take on a personality to you, and they take on a um, a, uh, a, a you become a piece of your life. Well, it really does. And especially like in my case, I've had this car since 1998. And so I've done, you know, it's, it's still pretty much in its original state. I did have it repainted, but you're always tinkering. You're always replacing an alternator or doing something, a thermostat or something. And next thing you know, you've had your hands in just about every aspect of that car at some point. So whenever somebody says, man, what would you take for that thing? I, I just can't even begin to even think of that scenario. So you, you just don't have just, enough money, pal. That's right. That's right. And if, and if I sold it to you, I'd have to have visitation rights. Well, actually, it's interesting because the guy I bought it from was a, is a longtime friend in Muckleteo. And um, the story is it actually was had been in his family. His wife's grandparents owned the car. Uh, they, down in LA, where it originated, they got too old to drive it. He had it shipped up to his house in Muckleteo. And then, uh, you know, back in the 90s, I was kind of looking around for an old Mustang to buy. And he said, well, you know, I've got this one. It's just been sitting in my garage. We don't use it and all that. And so I bought it from him. But the main condition of the sale was he did not have the guts to tell the grandparents that he'd sold their car. So if they ever came back up to visit him in Muckleteo, I'd have to take the car back and put it in his garage for that week. <laughs> which never I happened, which never happened, but that was the agreement, so. A small price to pay though for that car. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, small price to pay for such a, such a thing of beauty. Um, let's talk about big prices and big prizes. Uh, the Indianapolis 500 seems like it is uh, it is back. Uh, it's, it's certainly back in its time slot where it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, what is the um, let's let's start with the stuff on the ground. How is the racing world uh, taking? You know, being back after COVID, what are you seeing is different. What are you seeing that um, 
that is uh, uh, that has surprised you so far? Well, you know what? Uh, I guess I didn't see what was different, which was the Indy 500 last year when they they didn't run it in May, but they did run it in August to a completely empty race, empty uh, grandstands here. And right. I, you look at the grandstands at this place; it's the biggest sports venue in the world. Two hundred and I think it's 240,000 seats or something like that. It's massive. And, you know, I've been here on practice days when there's very few fans in the stands. So that's kind of the idea of what it would be, would have been like in on August 23rd last year, I think it was when they ran the race. It was, and the people who are here said it was just a, the most strange thing in the world. This year, uh, May the 30th, when they run the race, two weeks or a week from tomorrow, actually, um, they are, will have 40% capacity. So that equates to, I think, around 130, 140,000 spectators. Wow. So there will be fans in the stands. This past week during practice, um, there have been quite a few spectators. You know, with 240,000 seats, it looks empty, but, you know, they, they have several thousand spectators every day. There's actually a pretty good crowd out there today for the first day of qualifying. So uh, what's really cool is just to see people at the speedway again and IndyCar allows such good access to the teams, to the drivers, to the garages uh, that, you know, there are spectators here walking through the garage area if you buy a special badge. And yeah. it's just good to see that again, because then I know the drivers and teams missed that in the past year. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a sport that feeds, I think sometimes, a lot of times off of that presence of, of people walking around and, you know, I mean, I couldn't imagine fans walking through the diamond at the, you know, Safeco or T-Mobile field. Uh, right. But yet it, uh, you know, people be plays to be chasing. But I think even though sometimes the mechanics, the drivers, the crew people will complain and moan and all that, I think there's still something to the people walking through and looking and, and getting that feeling of uh, there are people that are supporting us, watching us, fans of us. Uh, more really, I think, than almost any other sport. I Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, the IndyCar series especially really embraces the opportunity to kind of bring the fans into their world. And I have not seen anybody get turned away. I mean, I've seen drivers rushing to a team meeting or whatever, but if somebody wants an autograph, they, they stop and sign autographs, take pictures, whatever. I mean, very, very accommodating, and, and they, they know they need to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, now um, what uh, I, I know that the health of IndyCar had uh, been in question over the and probably still is to some degree. But uh, is the sport and the races uh, are starting to get uh, back on their feet again? And are we starting to see now a, um, a you know kind of a, not a revival, I guess, but uh, at least uh, a reinforcement of the sport? saying, okay, we're going to be around. Here's where we're going. Right. From yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's such a different world now. I mean, I, I go back to 1974 when I first came to this race. And um, we're talking the Foyts and the Andrettis and the Rutherfords and the Unzers and all that. And uh, those were golden years. The yeah. 70s and 80s and even 90s were golden years for this sport. And it was the the sport as far as motorsport goes. Uh then there was the split, uh, you know, IndyCar kind of split into the cart series and the IndyCar series, and uh, that really hurt the sport, and, and it's never really totally rebounded from that. Having said that, this series is, is to me, the most competitive motorsport series in the world that there is, uh, as far as major motorsport series. Um, I mean, the gap between the first qualifier in the 33rd qualifier here at Indy is going to be very, very small. And that's why I think this past week in, in practice, you've seen a lot of uh, a lot of nervousness, let's put it that way. Nobody can really predict what's going to happen today in, in qualifying. But uh, And there's 35 entries for 33 spots, so two of the teams are going to go home after tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's tough, but the competitiveness to me is second to none. The exposure is another thing. How do they get people to watch? I know the TV ratings probably this year have been a little bit better, but still they're nothing like what they used to be. 
uh, it's just getting the word out that uh, of what IndyCar really is. And the thing I hear most often is the confusion between IndyCar and NASCAR. The general sports fan thinks of motorsport in this country as, oh, that you must be talking about NASCAR. Yeah. Obviously not. And that kind of gets on the nerves of a lot of diehard IndyCar people. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would imagine it would. Yeah, so... But as far as the health of the series goes, I mean, it, you know, it's been tough with, with COVID and everything and, and gaining sponsors and for the teams and all of that, but they made it through. But the competitiveness is, is like I say, second to none. They've got a good uh, engine and chassis package that allows that uh, to be that way. And, and uh, it, the racing is really good. Uh, Kirby Arnold is with us. We're talking Indianapolis, Indianapolis 500, and uh, the IndyCar Series. Who, um, what manufacturers, what engines? Uh, I know I spoke to somebody from uh, uh, from Honda not too long ago, uh, who always is, uh, you know, up on the, on the top of the list. What what manu- what manufacturers are we looking at this year as far as uh, as far as engines and and improvements? Anything that uh, we're looking at that might be radical um, that, that we might see? Right. No, I mean, there's two engine, there's two engine manufacturers in the series, Honda and Chevrolet. It's a, it, these are twin turbocharged V6 engines. Um, what they've done technically to, you know, to make them to get each other an advantage over the other, um, they, they certainly aren't going to say because they don't want the other one to find out one right. thing. Having said that, it seems pretty clear after, especially the last couple of days of practice, that Honda is the preferred package here. The Honda teams, you know, after practice yesterday and going into qualifying, which starts here in probably 30 minutes or so, um, the Honda teams are sitting pretty good. They're they're all right up at the top of the speed chart. The, the Chevrolet teams have have been catching up and. Uh, I don't think I, I know after practice yesterday, I was hanging outside the Penske garage and uh, there's a lot of a lot of team meetings going on, a lot of nervousness and uh, and Chevy teams trying to figure out what they can do to match what the Hondas are going are doing right now. How that shakes out through qualifying, you never know. There's so many variables at this place. Weather makes a big difference. Uh, track temperature makes a big difference. I look out the window now, it's kind of overcast out there now, so that might keep things a little bit cooler. That'll help speeds. But but overall, um, Honda's had the edge so far this year. How, uh, how much can a team do uh, on the fly? So let's say, uh, you know, the, the hypothetical is the Honda engines are running a little bit better, they're a little faster, whatever. When the Chevy mechanics, the Chevy engineers look at this, how much can they do within the rules uh, on the fly to change their engine or their configurations or whatever it is that they can do to make them more competitive? Or is it something where, you know, you basically say, boy, Honda came out with this one, we're going to have to just come back next year and try it again. Yeah, you know, you've seen it kind of swing back and forth that way. So one year Chevy's got a better package, another year Honda's got a better package. One year, you know, like a few years ago when Fernando Alonso was running here, Honda had the strong package, but reliability was a problem. And so and, and so the Honda guys, you know, Fernando Alonso was, was up front in the race. I think he might've been leading the race when his engine broke. So uh, what they do technically, I'm not, t- I'm not that technically inclined to know exactly what they're what they would do you can't just go and, and reinvent the engine because there's very right. tight specs that they have to to stay within and it, it is a spec series they all run the same chassis right lara chassis the teams do have some leeway as far as um how they tweak some aerodynamic some very fine tuning of the aerodynamic devices and things like that but uh pretty much it is you know you you have what you have and uh i think you're, you're talking about some real fine nuances that I'm sure the Chevy teams were looking into overnight last night to see what they can do just to get, it's basically a millisecond almost that, that separates yeah. a lot of these teams. And, you know, uh, a hundredth of a second makes a big difference around here when you're, you're going at 230 miles an hour. 
Yeah, and it's not like you can say, okay, go down to the auto parts store and get me a 780. We'll slap it on here. Take right. the 50 off and put the 780 right. on. So we get another mile an hour out of it. It's, right. uh, it, it's yeah. so much different than that. And I think people know that. But yet, in the casual, the more casual fans, I, and I, I've watched races where people say, well, why don't they you know, do this and do that to make the cars go faster? But these rules are really set up so that everybody is equally, you know, in a slot, right. much like NASCAR, where everything is really pretty much the same as the skill of the driver that's going to right. much more make the difference than, you know, a tweak that a mechanic is going to make on a particular engine. Exactly. And that's why in this era of IndyCar racing, you're seeing the fields so close together, so competitive, um, literally the race will come down to the last few laps and, and the margin of victory will be, you know, less than a second at worst, probably. That's just yeah. the nature of the beast now. Whereas back when I first started coming to Indy, um, you'd see, you'd see guys win the race and have a two lap lead, you know, and, and the attrition level out of 33 cars, there might be 10, 11, 12 left in the race where here you, you just see very few mechanical issues as far as the uh, the engine and drivetrain go at least is there a lot of um you know the old stories that we've heard when we were younger about race car drivers and the you know the kind of uh, spirit and everything that goes on with them uh is, is that kind of uh, uh you know kind of loose goosey kind of uh, daredevil spirit still there or has it become so much more of a corporate high dollar sport that uh, we're looking at more executives driving cars than we are, you know, uh, take any chance race car drivers. Uh, I tell you what, these guys are to get to this level. You, you gotta have some absolute guts to be able to do what these guys do and uh, take any chance. And maybe not any chance, but uh yeah, they're on that side of of, of the spectrum as, as, as far as uh, the type of people they are. Um, but it is a corporate world now, and um, you see drivers walking in with briefcases on, you know, in their hands sometimes. Uh, but it, it's across the board. It just depends on who the driver is. I mean, a guy that, that, that I've gotten to know fairly well is J.R. Hildebrand. He is, number one, he's a heck of a race car driver. Um, he's a car guy. He lives in Boulder, Colorado. He's got a, and I wrote a story about this for, um, uh, auto blog, which I think went up, went up on Yahoo sports yesterday. He drove his 1960 Cadillac Coupe de Ville from Boulder to Indianapolis a little over a week ago. It broke down in Goodland, Kansas. He went to Alex's radiator and auto repair. And they figured out that he needed a one-wire alternator, got him back on the road, and he cruised on into Indianapolis in that Coupe de Ville. He's that kind of a guy. I mean, he likes old cars, and uh, um, he just likes anything automotive. Let's put it that that's way. A, see, that's a great story. Yeah. Those are the guys to get yeah. your root for. You love those kind of guys. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people are pulling for JR. He's with the AJ Foyt team this year, um, 10 years ago his rookie year in 2011, he was leading this race by a fairly decent margin, you know, several seconds. On the last lap, he comes into the last turn of the last lap and there's a slower car in front of him in turn four. He gets out of the groove to go around him because the closing rate was so fast. This, this other car was basically running short on fuel. On the last corner of the last lap of the 500 mile race, JR moves out he gets into the marbles, which is the little bits of rubber that are outside the main groove of the track, slides into the wall, crashes. Dan Weldon passes him. Dan Weldon wins the race. JR slides all the way down the straightaway in a shower of, of sparks and broken parts and shattered dreams, basically, because uh, he was yeah. he was he was, you know, a quarter mile away from from his life totally changing. And uh, and that but those are the type of things that happen in Indianapolis. So this is kind of a big race for him this year. And I, you know, I asked him about that uh, a couple of days ago and, uh, and, you know, he's very matter of fact, he knows his life could have completely changed if he'd have 
been an Indianapolis 500 winner. Yeah. He also will not trade his life for anything. Um, well, what those guys uh, and women uh, that uh, that drive those causes, it's a special breed of people. I mean, right. whether it's the guys up at uh, Skagit Speedway to drive the, the, the midgets, uh, you know, on up to NASCAR and Indy and F1. And there's it, just such a, a spirit uh, and a commitment exactly. in there. Uh, that, yeah. uh, it's, it's different. It's, it's uh, that they're, they're just such people that have, uh, uh, they, they live. I mean, it really truly is gasoline in their blood. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, um, it's hard to explain unless you've just kind of been in it and been around it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, there's a term, you know, you're a racer basically doesn't mean you're a driver. You could be a driver. You could be a mechanic. You could be a reporter. You could be, but if you're really into it, you're a racer. And to me, I get just as much of a kick sitting at Evergreen Speedway on a Saturday night or Skagit Speedway, or even in Indianapolis, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Not only to be at the place to see the action, but to be around the people. It's, it's a really interesting. Yeah. There's, there's, there's just a, a real, um, camaraderie and, and um, a, a feeling of it's one of the few sports I think left where, you know, you could be in competition with somebody, but if you need an engine, you need a valve, you need this, you need that. Somebody can will run down to the next pit or the next oh, yeah. garage and say, here, I need this parking. I'll say, here, take it. And that you guy will you in the race. You see it all the time. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. We all work together. Uh, and I know we have short time, and I'm actually going to ask you if, if there's a chance we can get you to come back again next week before the race and maybe talk a little bit about who's okay, you know, who, sure. who's good, who's and who's. But um, which um, who do you, who do you look at so far and say here's here's the odds, here's the guy that I'll put my money on before qualifying, and then we'll ask you this question again after qualifying. Okay. Well, if. Uh... If you would ask me this very minute, based on what I've seen in practice, the Chip Ganassi racing team um, has been consistently fast near the top of the speed charts every day. Uh, they're, they're, that's a Honda team. Scott yeah. Dixon is a former winner of this race. So uh, Tony Kanaan is a former winner of this race. He's in a, he's in a Ganassi car. Alex Pelot is in a Ganassi car. So uh, Chip's kind of the Yankees of auto racing. Uh, kind of. I mean, obviously, there's the Penske team, too. So I right. mean, the, the three big teams are Penske, Ganassi, and Andretti. And all, um, you know, Penske's a Chevy team. The Ganassi and the Andretti teams are Honda teams. So they, they all seem to have a leg up right now, at least. But you know what? Things change. And things could change between now and a week and, and next week in the race. And the thing about this whole engine thing is we're talking sheer speed here, which is what this weekend is all about. Sheer speed to for qualifying to try to win the pole or get a place in the field. Whereas next week, it's race performance. You got to perform for 500 miles and right. two laps. And uh, so next week's a different animal. Uh, I saw that Danica Patrick is driving the, um, the pace car this exactly. week. It's... Kind of an interesting story to me in that she goes from driving the, you know, in in at the drive driving in the race to driving the pace car. What's um, what's the uh, what's the buzz on on that? Is there any buzz about that? Or are people happy that she's doing it? Is uh, or is it uh, something where um, you know, she's good for the sport because she brings attention to us. Well, I think so. And she was, I mean, when she was in the IndyCar series, she she was a heck of a driver. Yeah, yeah. Is a heck of a driver. So uh, I haven't heard much buzz about her being named the pace car driver, really. I think there's probably more buzz around here uh, for Jimmy Johnson being in the series. Um, now he's not driving the 500. He's driving just the uh, the road course races. But Fecky, I just heard him talking on uh, TV a little while ago that he's, he has not closed the door on driving in the Indy 500 maybe next year. So. Wow something that's certainly in the cards but uh that's one of the more intriguing stories around here this year is just jimmy johnson because you know, he, he did unprecedented things in a stock car yet here he is as a raw rookie in the indycar series and it, it it shows you how difficult the series is because uh you know his 
his lap times have progressively gotten better, but it's still, you know, he's still in the very back of the field when it yeah. comes to qualifying and, and running in these races. It's it's a difficult thing to learn, especially to go from from the big heavy stock cars to these little light nimble Indy cars. Kind of knocks you down a bunch, a, a, a bit, you know, like you, you have all this confidence that you can get in a car and drive it, and all of a sudden you get in one of these cars, it's just a whole different animal. I mean, it's, it's you know. A com- completely different thing, yeah, and and he is, uh, he's not he's not overconfident. He knew what he was getting into, and uh, and he admits he's learning, he's, he's learning from the ground up here, and yeah. uh, cool for me, it's pretty cool to see. Well, Kirby, it's good to see you. It's good to talk to you. You too, and, Ing. Um, and, you know, I, I, you, it was funny when you said you're a racer. It reminded me of, you know, the biggest compliment you can get paid in the baseball world is, hey, he's a baseball guy. You know, it's like, That's right. hey, yeah. you know, that, you know, uh, when Lou Pinellas says, oh, he's a baseball guy. You know, right. <laughs> yep. it's yep. like you want to print a T-shirt up that says, I'm a baseball guy. Right. And walk around with right. him. But, yeah. Um, uh, it, it's good to see it, and we and, and we'll catch up with you again next week. And get a little yeah. bit of, of yeah, let's do on, that. Who to go put your money on? Are there, is, is there betting on the race out there, or uh, oh, you, you know what? I'm not into that scene so much. I know there. I don't. I don't think there is actually, but I know that the series is talking about getting into that sort of thing. So, uh, um, I'm sure you can go to Vegas and put a bet on anything. Oh that, yeah, put a bet on but, cockroaches. Uh, Right, <laughs> right, or, or or two drunks stumbling across the infield or whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, which which there probably will be more of this year than last. Uh, but yeah. last year, I mean, we forgot we forget they had a, they had a hundred thousand people like camping outside of of Indianapolis in August, right? Uh, there were I don't know how many I don't know how many there were, but there was a lot of people that literally were set up their chairs across the street from the racetrack and. Uh, and just kind of experience the race that way. And uh, I put something on Twitter yesterday about how there's nothing like the sounds of race cars at Indianapolis at this speedway. You can hear race cars anywhere else, but at this speedway, it just, it's an unreal experience to me. I mean, the, the main straightaway is so cavernous with grandstands on either side of the racetrack that you can hear the car coming at you, then you can hear it going away from you and the echoes are still ringing, you know, you're around in the in the grandstands and one thing that i always have found interesting since the day i first came here in 74 is the yard of bricks start finish line is is the yard of bricks the original bricks that first covered this racetrack um when these obviously they've been shaved down to be as smooth as possible but when, right. when race cars are so low and they're so s- s- literally sucking themselves onto the ground because of the aerodynamics when they cross the yard of bricks, you can hear an audible smack as they go across. If you listen carefully, uh, it won't come across on TV, but to the to the naked ear, you can hear it. And that is the car bottoming out over the yard of bricks. It's a cool. It's just a cool sound. It's one of those little nuances that makes Indy what it is to me. Well, well, well hopefully next year. I haven't been, and hopefully next year you and I can have lunch at uh, at Indianapolis in the media room, which. Uh, I'm sure serves up great sandwiches. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know what? There's other places around here that, that we could go to. <laughs> I'll buy it, Pally. I will talk right. to you next week, Kirby. Thanks so much. Always for good, Benny. Okay. Appreciate always it. Always good. My Thank good you. friend, Kirby, on. always good to yeah. see Jason hear his voice. We'll take a quick break here, and we will be back uh, with um, the Yo Vinny. Uh, no, we got a cartoon coming up. We don't want to miss that as we uh, work our way toward the top of the hour here on Drive Time Radio. This overheated radiator shouldn't have happened. Or this street windshield in the rain. Or this dead battery here. Shouldn't somebody check those things for you every time? Your Texaco dealer does. That's his promise. Your Texaco dealer not only promises to check the things everyone ought to, he'll double check too. He'll check your battery. Double check the battery cables. Check your oil. Double check the fan belt. Check your radiator. Double check the radiator cap. Clean your windshield. And double check the wiper blades. What's more, your Texaco dealer's service and courtesy includes a smile and a thank you. That's his promise. You can trust your car to the man who wears the star. 
the biggest, bright Texaco star. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. I'm back with you on Drive Time Radio, New York Pity Time now for a cartoon. Every week we uh, play a little ditty for you. It has something to do with cars. Uh, my sister, I'm at my sister's house here in San Francisco. We're on the road. And uh, last night we were singing this one around the dinner table. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd lay it out for you. You may be most familiar with the Janis Joplin version of this song, but uh, I thought we would go a little more bluesy with you with the Taj Mahal version of Mercedes Benz on this morning's cartoon. Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? There you go, Taj Mahal and uh, Mercedes Benz made bluesy version from the great blues singer Taj Mahal. All right, Nathan asked the magic question, what am I driving this week? And I am very excited uh, to get back to Seattle and get into the uh, the Tiger Woods car. I'm going to get uh, a shot and get into the uh, Genesis GV80 uh, SUV. It is, uh, it's by all reports, well, listen, it's a car that saved Tiger Woods' life um, from, uh, you know, with the accident that happened earlier this year and all that went around it. It, uh, it, it uh, from everything I've heard about this car, people I know that have driven them, everybody uh, loved the car, is excited. So I am uh, truly excited to drive it too. So coming up uh, next week, we'll give you a little bit more information on that. Get you uh, get you informed about the GV80. The big news in automotive this week was uh, electric. Again, we hardly spoke about electric cars much this uh, show, but the Ford F-150 Lightning has been revealed. And this car, this truck, I should say, looks to be a winner only from the standpoint of its price. $42,000 will get you into before incentives, will get you into a base model of an all electric, all wheel drive pickup truck. You will be able to buy one for $90,000, a platinum model if you want. And uh, from all accounts and all of the automotive media that saw this thing up close this week, it seems to be an extremely um, efficient, long range, good car. And many people say that this truck, this Ford F-150 pickup will set the automotive world on its ear. It remains to be seen because you got GMC, Tesla and Rivian also coming out with electrics uh, in the short term future here. So it'll be uh, fun to watch this electric revolution. uh, Now getting it over to trucks. Hope you enjoyed the show. That'll wrap it up. We thank you so much for making this all happen, uh, especially to our friend George Jackson, who also helps make this show happen every week. Thank you so much. We will catch up with you next Saturday morning, if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. Have a good week.